Well, I think the big difference is in loyalty, in that Israelis, because they grow up in an army ethos, have this thing where you don't leave wounded soldiers in the field. And so people are extremely loyal. So the average employee is going to stay in an Israeli company a lot longer than they do today in the U.S. Today, you have kind of what I call equity portfolio collectors in the U.S. You know, they do one or two years at this company, invest some stock and move on. Here, people are pretty loyal. And I think that's a big difference. It enables you to build bigger things. I think there's also build things over a longer period of time. What's up, you sexy people? It's your girl, also known as Body Pump, a.k.a. Mama Sumo. In today's episode, Noah talks to Michael Eisenberg, co-founder and general partner at Aleph, an early-stage venture capital fund. Michael Eisenberg was born and raised in Manhattan, New York. During his college years, he went abroad and studied in Israel for two years. The trip was so transformative that he decided to go back to Israel after he got his degree in New York. Michael got into venture capital because he wanted to help Israeli entrepreneurs create more jobs for people. Some of his notable investments include WeWork, Wix, and Lemonade, a popular renter insurance platform. He is one of the top VC in Israel and the world. Noah really enjoyed his conversation with him. You will too. Check out Michael's book, The Tree of Life and Prosperity, and his venture capital company at aleph.vc. If you've ever wanted to learn more about why the Jewish community has risen to the top of the business and professional world, then you'll love this episode. In this conversation, you'll enjoy three big things. Number one, how living in an uncertain environment enables people to be bold and entrepreneurial. Number two, the biggest difference between American entrepreneurship and Israeli entrepreneurship. And three, why you should consider getting married first before starting a business. Enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. This interview is part of an upcoming YouTube video we are making. So subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash okdork if you haven't already. Also, if you are looking to start or grow an online business, you are going to check out appsumo.com slash Noah. It's kind of like Groupon for geeks or Groupon for software. Go check it out. A special pre-show shout out to listener Yusanana of USA. He left a review saying, good show with informative content and entertaining storytelling. Yay! Thanks for your feedback, homie. And if you want me to shout you out in a future episode, leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. I check every single one. I think we've met years ago. I think so too. Yeah, I think I went to your office years ago. I was in Israel for the weekend and I want to, we're putting out a video. We think it'll do really well just around like Israelis and Jews and like, what is it about this small group of people that have done so well? And so we've talked to a, a lot of really interesting people like the founder of Waze. CEO of SimilarWeb. We talked to some people on the streets. And so it's been interesting to just get different insights. I definitely am excited to be able to have your, your opinion on it. Sure. Can you share your startup story, your background story in about a minute or, or so? So I was uh, born and raised in New York. I like to say on the island of Manhattan. I went to elementary school, high school, and then college in Manhattan. After my freshman year of college, I came to study in Israel for a year that turned into two. I studied in the yeshiva, a house of Bible and Talmud study here in Israel. And uh, while there, I actually got inspired by a rabbi to 
moved to Israel and set up a factory to employ 10,000 people to earn an honest and decent living. I mean, it was like the first time I heard a spiritual figure talk about the importance of the economy and earning an honest and decent living and helping the Israeli economy and the brotherhood of the Israeli economy. And so I decided to move to Israel and see if I could create 10,000 jobs. I started in political consulting, found out they don't create any jobs, then went into what I'm now doing, basically, which is uh, one form or another of venture capital and investing in startups. And I've been investing in Israeli startups since 1995. So I've seen a few cycles uh, myself and been around basically since the beginning of the venture industry in Israel. The most important part of the thumbnail is that I'm married to Yaffa. We have uh, eight children, thank God, and three grandchildren. And I live in Jerusalem and work in Tel Aviv. What do you think it is about Israel and Jewish culture that molds so many entrepreneurs? I think a couple of things. One is uncertainty. And that is because of the moving around of the Jewish people, the need to build their own community structures because of the borders of Israel, that uncertainty creates people who know how to deal with uncertainty. And there's nothing more uncertain than the entrepreneurial journey. So it enables people to be bold enough to jump out there and confront that uncertainty, the unknown unknowns of starting a business in, in the world. And so that's, I think, point one. Point two is Historically, Jewish people have had to find new, new professions because they weren't included in the whatever was going on at the time, whether it was land ownership or factories, et cetera. And that's created, I think, an entrepreneurial gene that expresses itself in Israel as well. The third thing I've often said about Israel, I was once asked a question when I was speaking in Harvard by a woman from New Zealand, how do we create a startup nation in New Zealand? And I said, you can. She said, well, why can't we? And I said, because everything works in New Zealand. And in Israel, so many things don't work. And like, you know, you drop your kid off at kindergarten, the kindergarten teacher's not there, the school's going on strike, and the computer's not there, not hooked up right. And so the parents kind of organize to get their kids and who's going to watch the kids and the bus is late, nothing kind of works. And so you improvise all the time and that leads to an entrepreneurial culture. And then, then I think the fourth element, which is important, is we have a shared cultural language. And so it makes people more predictable. Having a similar heritage and a similar foundational story and similar aspirations around state building and the state itself as a startup, and everyone goes through the army service here, certainly was in the tech economy, creates kind of a shared aspiration and a shared culture and language that enables people to communicate even without communicating. And I think that makes it helpful to kind of take on big problems. That's amazing. Do you think if someone from outside of Israel went and just lived there for 10 years, they'd be able to do better at starting companies or is it something? Hey, look at me, man. <laughs> So, so yeah, totally. Hey, to totally. The culture is like it sweeps you up. Like everyone in Tel Aviv is starting something. And there's also there's another thing here, which is it's okay to fail. You know, your kids go to the army and, you know, they put them through really hard work and stuff. And they don't get over the, the mountain the first time, but they keep kind of going. And everyone supports them to do that. And so there's like a culture here where if you fail, we'll just get behind you, get you over the hump the next time. We'll take the hill the next time. And so... It sweeps you up. And so the answer is definitely yes. I am curious. How, do you th how different do you think your life would be if you stayed in America? My wife and I talk about that a bunch. And I don't know the answer to the question. I'm candidly not sure where I'd want to live in America, what community I'd want to live in. And so it's hard for me even to answer that question. I do. I feel like the future of the Jewish people is in Israel. And not only that, I feel that Israel can have an impact on the West and its current kind of disillusionment with capitalism and the importance of entrepreneurship. America's developed a culture. Some of the politicians are beating on entrepreneurs right now. These are people, the big change makers. Other people want to go back to socialism. I think Israel, with its kind of model of what I've been calling covenantal capitalism, where we kind of help each other get better and grow the pie, is really an answer to the, a lot of disillusionment with capitalism in the West. And so, ironically, I think we can have a big influence from here, or I can have a big influence from here, than I would have if I was in America. Do you, do you only invest in Israeli startups? 
I do. I was a little surprised when I saw your book. It's very opinionated in a in really great way. And I was just like, I think because I'm familiar with like, I'm from Silicon Valley, I'm used to Silicon Valley venture capitalists where having like a, an opinion about something that public where it was like, hey, I'm going to talk to you about entrepreneurship from the Bible and the Jewish perspective. It felt bold. And so I guess I was curious how you felt about it. And especially being a venture capitalist, because it's like, hey, here's, here's my line. I'm not politically correct. And I think political correctness has watered down modern society. We can't debate things anymore and talk about them. And the thing I find most fascinating is when people pick up the book and say, your opinion, and I think differently, let me tell you why. And then we can have a conversation. Because we've made so many things taboo and people are afraid to talk about things, we're losing democracy and we're losing capitalism and we're losing drive and we're losing the most creative people in our society because they can't express themselves. And I think that's a terrible thing. And so I'm not worried about expressing my opinion. I'd love to engage in conversation about it. I, yesterday came out a podcast I actually recorded like four months ago. You won't believe this. It's a Christian podcast where the opening of the podcast talks about Jesus. Um, and they interviewed me on my book. And very obviously, we have some theological differences as people of different faiths. The conversation was fascinating. You know, around a shared text, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, depending on who you ask, we would call it different things. And different interpretations. We had a wonderful conversation. I mean, I listened to it again yesterday on two speed, two X speed. But and it was really interesting listening to Henry and Luke on the other side. I had some different opinions, I had some questions, and I had mine, and it was amazing. And we need more of that, not less of it. By the way, Israel's kind of like that. The other thing I think it makes it so entrepreneurial is nobody's bashful over here. I'm sure they told you ten times. You know, I used to laugh. I'd take my when I had first child, and you go up in America, no, you walk to the park. No one's going to stop you and tell you you're doing a bad job as a parent. But in Israel, you walk down here in the park and some grandma tells you, rookie man, you shouldn't be doing this to your kid. You got to do this differently. You stop to change the diaper in the park and they go, hey, we change that diaper right. And thank you for caring. I have this ongoing joke. You know, I get asked by Americans a lot. Like if I go to work in an Israeli company, what's the one thing I need to know? And I tell them, hey, it's like this. In America, if somebody's yelling at you, it means you've got a problem. And in Israel, if they stop yelling at you, you've got a problem because it means they don't care. <laughs> I mean, you, you've seen a, an array of entrepreneurs across the world uh, with all your experience. What have you noticed about like American entrepreneurship versus Israeli? I, I don't think there's dramatic differences in that way. They're both bold. I think American entrepreneurs are amazing. If you look in the world, I think there's actually two places where real entrepreneurship takes place at scale. It's, it's Israel and America. And by the way, it's not even America broadly. It's kind of a bunch of places in America, you know, San Francisco, New York, the technology entrepreneurship being this way. But you know, America's an entrepreneurial country. Where I think the big difference is in loyalty and that Israelis, because they grow up in an army ethos, have this thing where you don't leave wounded soldiers in the field. And so people are extremely loyal. So the average employee is going to stay in an Israeli company a lot longer than they do today in the U.S. Today, you have kind of what I call equity portfolio collectors in the U.S. You know, they do one or two years at this company, invest some stock and move on. Here, people are pretty loyal. And I think that's a big difference. It enables you to build bigger things. I think there's also built things over a long period of time. I think there's also because most of American entrepreneurship comes out of academia and Israel comes out of the army, there's uh, necessarily migration to different areas. You see less consumer out of here. There is, but it's less. I think you're seeing less deep tech here right now because a lot of that's come out of academia and not the military. Whereas you'll see kind of a lot more effective cyber and uh, enterprise software and now Web3 out of here because it's kind of related to cyber. And I, and I think we'll see some other stuff as well. What advice do you have for in general for people in their career who want to start a company? Do it. Just do it. You know, I'll say something that's different, which I've said publicly many times. Get married. I think the entrepreneurial world is tough. And without having a partner who kind of 
you can share things with really openly along the way, it's really difficult. And I know that's counter to most common wisdom where it's so total to be an entrepreneur, you ought to be single. I think it's really true that if you want to start something, uh, you need to have both a partner in business and a partner in life to go do things. How do you choose a great partner? What are the characteristics you would say for a great partner? They're not the same for who you marry and who you do a business partnership with. Let's just say that. But in both cases, I think you want someone who is different than you, not the same as you. You want someone who holds up a mirror. To use a biblical word. So the Bible says when, when Adam is alone, he said that Adam couldn't find a helpmate who was against him. That's the word used. That's the phrase used. A helpmate who stood opposite him. You go, what? And you say, well, that's exactly what a helpmate is. It's somebody who tells you something you don't want to hear. It's somebody who pushes you differently. Somebody holds up, up a mirror and says, hey, you paying attention here? It's someone who can push back when they think that you're out of line. And I think that's true in business partnership and in, and in life partnership as well. One, I love that for starting a business. I, I am single and I am looking. I wonder how different it would be to have a wife and doing all this business stuff. I definitely, during dating, it's definitely been helpful. Like a lot of times you go to your partner and you're like, hey, here's what I'm going on. And they're like, here's what I think. And you're like, yeah, that's pretty damn good. You know, I don't know how it started off without my wife. That's the truth. And my great business partner, Ed, started with me and now our other partners. And it's, uh, you know, I think life's better shared. It just is. And if you're looking, you're looking too much. Don't use these eyes. Use this. <sighs> I'm, uh, yeah. That's part of why I went to Israel. I was like, oh, I'd like to find a Jewish wife. So come. Come. We'll find one. There's plenty. Yeah, they're all there. It's crazy. I'm like, you're Jewish. You're Jewish. You're, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, you don't have to play a guessing game. No, you don't. It's not a gamble. So, all right. All right. All right. I hear. I like that. I like that. How do you see the balance of religion in the workplace? I know what you mean. What's the question? Well, I guess I was curious because like your Judaism is important to you. Like, where does that fit in a workplace? Is that something that should, because like I'm Jewish. I'm proud of being Jewish. I have content about being Jewish in my company. I talk about being Jewish, but I don't make it. It's an interesting line. I wonder where that fits or doesn't fit within the company. You know, my, my partner, Edwin, he'd say this about himself publicly, and he said it publicly. So, you know, he's an atheist. I'm a religious believer. And we both respect each other, I think. You can ask him if he respects me. I certainly respect him, uh, both for who he is as an ethical person and for his belief system and how consistent he is in it. And we're both Jewish. We don't need to agree on everything. We have interesting discussions about it. I think if you bring your whole self and who you are authentically, and you're open that other people are not who you are, you're willing to learn from them. It makes for a better partnership and better business. The, the, the one thing we had to compromise on was when we went on the road and we were eating together. We had to eat at a kosher restaurant right in and eat. So he joined me at kosher restaurants, even though I'm sure he didn't want to at some time. And, you know, we were walking through other places and I didn't judge him for not eating at a kosher restaurant or anything like that. And so we choose to be respectful of each other. And I love him like a brother. Really do. My wife says sometimes if I wasn't married to her, maybe I'd be married to Ed, and I don't think so. But you know, <laughs> I think if you're proud of who you are, whatever you are, people respect you for it, and if you're consistent. And so I believe what I believe, and I'm proud of it. I think it, in, you know, both Ed and I infuse our businesses with principles that are lasting principles that we hope reflect, you know, the values of of Israel and the Jewish people, and that make them better businesses. You know, make for better people. That that's our hope. That's our mutual hope. I did read it online and you mentioned it earlier today. You said this rabbi said that create 10,000 jobs. What made you listen to him and change your life? You know, it's a really good question. I think it was kind of the way he answered my question. I should just say, by the way, I'm not like that. You know, these people went to spiritual figures or rabbi. I'm totally not in that camp. 180 degrees the opposite direction, a deep rationalist. But I, I'd gone to yeshiva or Jewish day school my whole life. 
And I never once heard a rabbi talk about the economy. And I think that contrast was stark. And it wasn't like, you know, you need to go do this or anything like that. It's just, want to do something meaningful? That would be meaningful. And it felt like a call to action to have an impact in a country that was kind of just getting its economy rolling. Maybe I sensed a business opportunity, but I sensed a chance to make a difference for other people. I think, I'm not 100% sure. I think about your question a lot because it could have gone other ways. I mean, we all hear things along the way and you're not sure what grabs you actually. Something about the moment, I guess, was right after the Gulf War. It was, you know, he's an inspiring person. He had gone through the Holocaust, set up this yeshiva, built, you know, essentially an empire. He was the most humble person I knew, among the most humble people I knew. Lived very simply, just was a moral figure. Well, I didn't have much of a relationship, by the way, at that point in time, but the relationship developed afterwards when I moved there. That was just, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. How would you define your life's work? To employ as many people as possible who can earn an honest and decent living, make theirs and other people's lives better and grow this economic pie. We can do this. I guess I was also wondering, like, how do you think other people can figure that out for themselves? I think it starts actually with what are you willing to sacrifice? I don't say I sacrificed that much, but I left America. I moved countries. I didn't have a short job. I, when I decided to move to Israel, I didn't have a job. Uh, I think people need to ask themselves what certainty are they willing to give up to make what sacrifice on behalf of a larger goal. And it could be an economic goal. By the way, entrepreneurs do that all the time. They can all get good paying jobs generally. But to create something great, you need to sacrifice. To create something long-term and lasting, you need to sacrifice. To create something long-term and great, you need to do something on behalf of somebody else, not yourself. And so I think those are kind of the foundations of what I call covenantal capitalism. Every covenant has a sacrifice. You know, for Jewish, circumcision is a covenant. And we sacrifice something. It's called a piece of foreskin in order to enter into a people that's greater than ourselves. And when you go to the military in Israel, you sacrifice three years of your life on behalf of something greater than yourself, but for long-term solidarity in the state. And I think in modern society, which has become so individualistic, people are unwilling to sacrifice anymore. And so greatness starts with real sacrifice. By the way, when you get married, you sacrifice something yourself too. Your career is really interesting. I like that it went from, you wanted to be a senator, I think I read. I did. I wanted to be a senator. And you were in government. And I, I've noticed this with like, you know, one of my favorite venture capitalists, Michael, I'm blanking his last name, from Sequoia, Moritz. Mike Moritz. Moritz, yeah. I think I was feeling confused because you said St. Moritz. I was like, there's no way his last name is Moritz. You know, I've read his book and like he was a journalist. And yeah. then he's become one of the most epic, you know, venture capitalists of all time. And so I think it's really interesting when people are going through in different paths to end up at a different destination. I like that for your career. And I think for other people, it's like, hey, there's no wrong, right way to live a career, just following the one that you're interested in. Yeah, I think a lot of this has to do with personality types. You know, I, I keep getting asked, what's the right background for a venture capitalist? There's actually not a background. You know, it's not a CV. It's your personality type. You know, you need to be very curious. You need to be optimistic. You need to be able to suffer failure because a lot of these companies go out of business. You need to be able to focus your time and attention on winners rather than losers. You need to be a relationship builder because these are mercurial businesses and roller coasters. and you know, and you need to be able to work in a partnership for the most part, I think. And so, you know, it's a complicated business, but it's, it's like I said, it's a personality type, not a CV. That's awesome. That's a wrap. Hope you liked the episode. If you did, go check out Michael's book, The Tree of Life and Prosperity, and his venture capital company at aleph.vc. Next, text a friend you love them. Yo, dog, let's travel to Israel together. Before you go, tweet at Noah Kagan and let me know what you thought of this episode. Also, 
Remember to go subscribe to my email list. I put my best tips into a single short email each week and hook up exclusive content to email subscribers. Sendfox.com slash Noah. Finally, a couple of shout outs to my amazing team members. Special thanks to Jason at podcasttech.com, as always, for making these podcasts sound so nice and clean on your eardrums. Thanks to Mitchell, Jeremy, George, Karn, Sasa, Nikki, and Jen from the Dork team for the magic you guys do. And finally, shout out to Luke, Serba, Gary, and Natasha Dordevic, who does Originals support team at AppSumo. Thanks for always giving our customers the best experience and answering challenging questions. This is how SendFox has a 4.7 star rating with 273 reviews on Trustpilot. Great work, you all. <laughs> Have a tremendous day. Who's your favorite? Comedian. Good job, Mom. <laughs>